We return this morning to our study of the book of 1 John. If you're visiting this morning, we just started our study of this book of the Bible last week, so you haven't missed a whole lot. 1 John is a first century letter written to the church, and it's written by one of the closest men to Jesus when he was here on earth, the Apostle John, the one who was called the Beloved Disciple. Last week, we spent uh, a little bit of time in what is called the prologue of 1 John, these first four verses that open up the letter, not with a traditional New Testament first century greeting where you would say grace and peace, or to the churches of Galatia, I so-and-so, no. He just jumps right into it, John does, and lays a foundation of sorts, reminding God's people that he can and he ought to be believed because he was a witness of everything that Jesus said, of everything that Jesus did. Not only was he a witness, but he he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus intimately. He wants to make sure his credibility is there. And then he invites and reminds God's people that we are invited into fellowship into a participation, into a sharing of life. First with God himself, the one who created us and made us for fellowship with himself, but then also with one another. But where did John say that path begins, that fellowship begins? It begins by believing and living out the apostles' teaching. What John wrote, what John said, the true testimony that he gives and that others like him give, the true testimony that we have here in God's Word, preserved for us generations upon generations and inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God Himself. And so John has laid that foundation last week, and this week he begins to then unpack, okay, what is the teaching that you need to hear and build your life on? And so that's where we find ourselves today. First John chapter 1, just the second half of chapter 1 today, 5 through 10. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. First John chapter 4. 1 verses 5 through 10, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. 
Familiar verses to some of you. I know. Maybe new verses to others. As we try to unpack what John is saying here right after the prologue, I want to organize our meditation this morning around three, three truths. And the first one is this. Be blinded by the brightness of God. Be blinded by the brightness of God. Let me throw out a date. August 21st, 2017. I'd be impressed if anyone knew and remembered what happened on August 21st, 2017. What happened on August 21st, 2017 was what was known as the Great American Eclipse. Remember that? Just a few years back, started in Oregon, Madras, Oregon, I think, and then worked its way across the continental 48th. Do you remember where you were? Did you see it? Do you remember how you saw it? I remember it vividly. Ann and I were, were stuck in a hotel. I was no, in an airport in Nashville, Tennessee. We were trying to get home after a long visit back east and People were clamoring in the hotel to find a window and there was a skylight in one of uh, the hallways of the airport and these people were all huddled in this, under the skylight looking up and uh, I remember trying to get a glimpse of it, but I didn't have those glasses, right? Remember those glasses that you had to have in order to look at the eclipse and so we were borrowing glasses from people so that we could see so that we could look right into the sun. Because you can't do that, right? You look into the sun, you'll burn your retinas, you'll destroy your eyes. And, and, but some of you have done that, right? Right after, when you were a little kid, right after your mom said, don't look into the sun, you kind of looked up and gazed at it for a little bit. I did that. Maybe I'm the only one. What happened when you did that? Well, you, you kind of looked back at the earth and all of a sudden there were these black blotches in your eye, right? As your vision was, your retinas were trying to recalibrate themselves. And there were these black blotches all over your eye. Well, I bring that up because I think that's something of what the Apostle John wants to see happen in the church. That whole phenomenon of not looking at the sun with glasses on, but being blinded by the brightness of God. You see, the central thing in this passage is the central thing in our world, in our existence. It's, it's light. It's the very beginning of our world being created. And God said, let there be light. But we're not talking about the light that was created when God said, let there be light. We're talking about the light that preceded the very creation of the world, the very being and existence of God himself. God is light, John says. God is absolute light. And everything flows from this starting point. In other words, what you believe about God determines how you will live your life. And more than that, we could say that you cannot truly know yourself 
unless you know God and think rightly about him. You've got to stare at the God who is light. John Calvin, one of the familiar names in our theological tradition as Reformed Presbyterians, wrote in his magnum opus work, The Institutes, he began that incredible work with this phrase, it is evident that man never attains a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God. You see, as I pointed out last week in the prologue when we looked there, John specifically writes this letter to an ancient church, a first century church that's struggling to find its way. Many of these churches had been founded by the apostles. They had been shepherded by the apostles. And yet, as time went by, as the apostles got older and older, remember John's an old man at this point, their teaching got a little bit more in the past. It got a little more distant, which allowed room for false teachers to, to come in and to speak lies. You see, they didn't have, they didn't have this at this point. They had the testimony of the apostles. And so they're a church trying to discern these different teachings that are going on, these different teachings that are circulating. And John knows that. And so he speaks, again, on the foundation of his credibility, of his eyewitness, of his apostolic office. He speaks and he says, God is light. Now the concept of light was a, you know, was a philosophical thing that the Greeks talked about in the courts and he's not talking about light in terms of a philosophical concept he's talking about it in regards in the context of the rich revelation that God had given his people for centuries upon centuries generations upon generations beginning in the old testament the poets and the prophets had often spoke about light and darkness right we heard some of it already in our service today, Psalm 27, we began, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah 9, Theo reminded us, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah 60, arise for your light has come. And then John begins his gospel with this barrage of light, speaking of the word, which is Jesus. John writes in his gospel in chapter one, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a man sent from God. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light was coming into the world. Of course, that's talking about Jesus. But what does John mean when he says God is light? What, what exactly is he trying to get people to understand and to unpack. There are lots of ways we could look at light. In one sense, light presents revelation, right? Illumination. It's a light that shows us the way. Your word, the psalmist says, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But from the context, what John is saying in regards to God being light, what John is talking about 
is His holiness. His flawless perfection. His truth. His integrity. His absolute moral purity. Which is why He says, in Him, there is no darkness at all. You see, God is the standard by which all things are tested. Because of of Him, because of God, all things are revealed to be what they are. C.S. Lewis, the author, once wrote that we believe the sun has risen not only because we see it, but because we see everything else. Light is purity. Darkness is wickedness. That is John's intent in hammering home this simple truth that God is light. Now, I know many of you have walked with Jesus for for years. Many of you know the Scriptures well. This is obvious to you. I hope it is, right? But it's so important. Because it's the banner statement that sets up the rest of John's teaching in this letter and in, this, in these verses. It becomes the theological foundation for all the exhortations that are going to follow. Because of who God is, holy and pure and absolute love, God and sin or darkness, they don't mix. Not even a little bit. So now, John's readers, his original hearers, and we who sit here today, we've got to now take that theological truth, God is light, and somehow bring it into our lives. And unfortunately, that's exactly what the false teachers in these first century churches were not doing. There was a fundamental disconnect. And John addresses some of their claims directly in verses 6 through 10. And he does it with these statements, statements with the phrase, if we say. It's really a series of of if-then statements, so you have to add the then if we're going to think about it that way. We don't know if these are the exact statements that the false teachers said, but we trust that John has captured what they said. These statements, they bring us to the second point that I want us to meditate on this morning. Not simply be blinded by the brightness of God, but see your struggle with darkness. See your struggle with darkness. You see, we're blinded in order that we might see. That's kind of the progression. Here we get to those those blotches that resulted when I, as a seven-year-old boy or however old, looked up into the sun after my mom told me not to. Those blotches are our sinfulness. A sinfulness that, though forgiven once and for all through the work of Jesus, a sinfulness that remains in my nature and in my heart. And it's this kind of scene that is exactly what's not happening in the church. And that's why John is so frustrated. That's why John is addressing it. And there are basically two denials that are going on in the church that John writes to. Denial number one is found in verses six and seven. If you have your Bibles, you can look at it with me there. 
Let me, let me just rephrase those verses. What's likely being taught and lived is this. These teachers say, I know God. We know God. But we don't need to or want to follow his commands. We know him, but we just don't want to follow his commands. Now, we could get into the intricacies of particular false teachings that were circulating in that day, words like Gnosticism. Likely what John was encountering, what the church was encountering, is this teaching that what was done in the body doesn't matter. And ultimately, has nothing to do with what goes on in our spirits. So this overemphasis on the spiritual, this de-emphasis of whatever we do in our bodies doesn't really matter. It was the higher spiritual existence that was the goal. That's what was important. So that's what, that's what those false teachers are saying, and God's people are saying, well, maybe, maybe the commands really don't matter so much. But here we are in 2021 in Edmonds, Washington. What, what does that have to do with us? Is our church, is the church today ever in danger of doing something similar? Well, our problem is not their problem specifically, but we still have problems. We have our own twist on this, I think. And just one thing that came to mind, maybe other things come to mind for you, but one thing that came to mind is this emphasis, this notion that we're spiritual people. That there's a spirituality as I define it. That I can know God, but I'll define what that knowledge looks like. I even heard it just this past week as I was listening to another deconstruction story of a former Christian who is still clinging to, to vestiges of the faith passed down for generations upon generations and yet deciding what she wants to do with it. Disregarding what he has spoken. Disregarding what he has revealed. You see, I think John's calling us back. He's calling us back to the Scriptures. And to the faith passed down through the apostles. That's denial number one. The second denial is found in verses 8 and 10. And essentially, essentially what's being spoken is, I'm not a sinner. I don't really have a sin issue. Never really have. And here it gets serious. We don't know exactly why this is being said, but it shows how far these teachers are from God. Maybe they're saying that they never had a sinful nature or that their newfound faith and fellowship in God has made them sinless and it's not an issue for them anymore. Whatever the specifics, John says, if you believe this, if you live as if you don't have any struggle with darkness, you're deceiving yourself. Worse, worse, you are calling God a liar. David said in Psalm 51.5, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. You must see. We must see our struggle with darkness. And of course, in our culture, just like, just like self-defined spirituality is something that we are constantly confronted with, so is 
the diminishment of, of sin. We as Christians, we're not saying that we're as bad as we could be, but we're saying there's a fundamental brokenness that exists in all of us. And praise God that He restrains ourselves. But we need to see our sin. We need to see our darkness. We need to struggle with our darkness. But it's not easy. It's not easy in this day and age. It wasn't easy for these first century readers who were hearing lots of chirping. I think one example of how we miss our sins sometimes is we equate our cultural morality and our avoidance of gross sin with what God calls us to be. We did a whole series on this years ago based on a book written by Jerry Bridges, great book called Respectable Sins. In that book, he says this, He says, we, the church, Christians, people of God, we have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins of society around us that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined or subtle sins. We who are believers tend to evaluate our character and our conduct relative to the moral culture in which we live. And since we usually live at a higher moral standard than society at large, it's easy for us to feel good about ourselves and to assume that God feels that way also. And we fail to reckon with the reality of sin still dwelling in us. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to beat you up. I just want to remind you to see your struggle with sin and to not be naive about your struggle with sin. This is what Jesus saved us for, to be holy. We could look at other passages, some passages we've studied. Romans 12, the marks of a true Christian. 1 Corinthians 13, the character of true love. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. When was the last time you thought about the fruit of the Spirit in your life? I was confronted just yesterday with my lack of patience. Oh, Lord, I am so impatient. See, this is just lifelong shaping and commitment. This is just praying David's final words in my favorite psalm, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Blinded, By the brightness of God, we can see our struggle with darkness. But I don't leave you there. John doesn't leave us there. And that's the third truth this morning. And it's simply this. Rest in Jesus, your guarding light. Rest in Jesus, your guarding light. Why do I say that guarding light? Well, because it makes me think about when my kids were were young. Like many of your kids, I suspect, they couldn't sleep without that guarding light by the door. That little nightlight stationed like a guard against the darkness in their room. 
You see, light intensified, it burns and consumes, and and light strategically aimed guides and illumines, but light that sets aside its blaze and condescends to us, that kind of light heals and comforts and guards. And so don't leave beat up this morning. Leave with verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so yes, we begin by assenting to the truth of who God is by recognizing our struggle with darkness, but then we turn from that darkness by trusting in the provision that He has given all of us. The person of Jesus. This is where walking in the light begins. By confessing and trusting daily the cleansing that comes from Jesus' sacrifice. He is faithful and just, he says. Now that's not what we expect to hear, is it? What we would expect to hear is something more like he is kind and merciful to forgive. Not faithful and just. But see, that's the work of Christ. That's the broken body and the shed blood. Kindness and mercy comes through faithfulness and justice. Because justice has fallen. God has been faithful to himself. But it has missed you. It has missed me. It's fallen on Jesus. And so the prophet Isaiah said, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The prophet Jeremiah says, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. For those of you who acknowledge and struggle with darkness, this is where your rest is found. By coming again and again and again and again and again and again to the storehouse of mercy that is found in Jesus. To the well that will never ever run dry. That's what we need to never get tired of doing. And that's why we as a church ought to, get, ought to never be tired of hearing the Gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Rest in Jesus, the light of the world. If we start there, If we begin with rest, if we trust that He is faithful and just, then we can follow John's words in John 8, 12, where Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. The light of life. Light exposes, light guards, light illumines the way. May God give us the grace to walk in that path. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for John's words, for John's heart, for his love for the church, his desire that Your people might see clearly who You are, who they are, and what You have done through the work of Your Son. Oh, Father, it's so good for us to be reminded of this. We who are bent and broken, we who are constantly failing, 
And yet we're here this morning because we need cleansing. We need your spirit anew to walk in the light as you are in the light. As the Apostle John continues to flesh out the the specifics of what that walk looks like, oh, may this foundation that's been laid in these first couple weeks, may it just permeate this entire book, this entire study. Indeed, may it permeate our day, may it permeate our lives, that we would not go from this place with a, with a burden of law on us, but that we would go from this place filled to overflowing in the joy of the gospel. Holy Spirit, only you can do that work. And so I ask that you would do it for the glory of your name and for the good of God's people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.